trying to defend copy typist errors tiny dots of strokes in some um, prepositions some one or two things no that's not the point the point of credibility is in the message Christ's truth call the Bible the holy glad tidings of God through Christ Jesus our Lord call the Bible the message of God's love call the Bible Christ Jesus revealed call the Bible God's plan for humanity and saving humanity you are all right the Bible is Christocentric it is Christ centered imagine this little boy from the back address this little boy from the backwoods of Nazareth will come on the surface or the sea four or five thousand years after certain prophets have prophesied and say in the interpretative keys or nuggets of Bible understanding you have not understood a verse a prophetic statement a proverbial saying till you have understood it in me then you are wondering indeed this is true you have not understood the bible till you see christ as the message of the bible search the scriptures like you said the scriptures for in these scriptures as commandments you think you have eternal life but these are the words that speak about me we are not taught to worship the bible the Bible does not self-teach that we worship it as a sacred book of myth, faith, legend, occult practice, traditional or custom beliefs, customary beliefs. Rather, the Bible reveals God. God all by himself. A self-willed, stand-alone God. God is not true who else can be true if God doesn't exist the earth will not be the way it is the reason why we have an understanding of structure of computation of manufacturing of assemblage of analysis of combinations of sets and series is because there is God who made heavens and the earth. Imagine somebody says, your cell phone was not made by someone. This cell phone just appeared as a result of some gaseous malfunction against the child's and the boy's law of ideal abnormal unnatural gases. How dumb. To say there is no God is to deny the, 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 the problem of thinking. Here comes a very serious one. The tree and the seed. Or the tree and the fruit which came first. Here comes a very serious one the chicken and the egg 
which came first. How comes the Bible tells me about life? Something is so fundamental. Fundamental, it has to precede other things. Something has to precede other things. Then, at the very best, we must talk about an intelligent creator. An intelligent creator. Think about it. The hypocrisy of science. Self, deceit, delusion, and denial. Science admits so consistently with empirical analysis that there must be first a seed, then development. Science never denies the existence of a seed first. The existence of a raw material approach to life. Science thinks through on no possibilities outside raw material ideology. There must be something at the very back end. There must be something at the very back. There's something, I mean, at the very um, fundamental, I was going to say, not back end. Something at the very beginning, at the start of the chain. Science teaches, you must trace back. Science teaches that not only does the end justify the means, but that the means, most times, is the reason why the end is there. Yet, because it's impossible to test God on the litmus to find him under the electron microscope. To assess him by the use of supercomputers used to study the galaxies, the universe, stars, planets. Because you can see him by your telescope, your periscope, your microscope, your hydroscope, your baroscope, your nucleoscope, that God doesn't exist. God beats man to it in his Scientology and scientific orientation and empirical analysis. God says, I am that I am. I have existence beyond human proof. I am self-existing. I am self-existing. I may stand alone. He says, God, Hebrews 12 and verse 9, is the father of spirits. Since he's the father of light, James 1, 17, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Light change. Even sometimes, the sun burns dull. Light can be hindered. Sometimes we have the moon and some other parts of the galaxies interfere with the sun. We talk about solar lunar eclipse. But God is a consistent light, brilliance, illumination, remarkable effulgence. John 4 verse 24 says, God is a spirit. 
time on science God is a spirit so how do you test spirits thank God for the Bible we don't have to be abstract or so real about spirits the word of God reveals and manifestly declares who spirits are at first Corinthians chapter 8 describing idols and things offered in sacrifice unto idols it says we know an idol is nothing in the world first Corinthians 8 4 there is none other God there is none other God but one God for though there be that are called gods whether in heaven or in earth as there be gods many and not many but to us there is but one God the father look at how he relates with us or how it pertains to us look at our business in this first Corinthians 8 6 but to us there is but one God the father of whom are all things and we in him and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things and we by him how be it there is not in every man that knowledge let us never be like people who will say we don't know well, I don't understand who knows the Bible does not leave us the wraith of knowledge the wreath of knowledge God was not, does not leave us confused about life there's no something like I, I don't I know there's a timeline the Bible is very comprehensively clear about the origin of us the creation of man by God the destiny of the man not born again God's word is clear about the end of the man born again the power of the spirit and the gift of eternal life to say we don't know is to sound anti-Christ don't be caught in that web of confusion I don't know I don't, I don't understand for me for you what are you saying it's the bible it says there is one god the father of whom are all things and we in him and the one lord jesus christ by whom are all things and we by him i know this is what the word of god says tell me over and over again he shall ask you are you saved if you are yes I am saved, born of the Spirit of Christ, redeemed by His blood, purchased, blood bought, sanctified, made holy by nature. I'm a product of divine sacrifice. I lost my identity in His divinity. Yes, use of words, semantics, some high sounding technologies. No, for real. I got born again by the word of truth. It is by the word I have been saved. Been born again. Not of corruptible seed like it was when I was born by my parental lineage. 
being born again by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. God's word. Real, refreshing, realistic. God's word. Powerful. Strong, reliable. God's word. In totality inspired by the spirit of the living God. Spend time with the Bible. Never say you don't know. Spend time understanding the position of things. I, I get scared when I see Christians who just look so confused in their mind. These are the last days. And God's word does not miss words as to realities and peculiarities of these last days. Second Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter number three, Second Timothy, chapter number three, and verse thirteen. Second Timothy three thirteen. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Where did this come from? Anytime you find a verse of the Bible. Whether you understand it or not, find what verse. Sometimes people think that I'm just all out to challenge them when I say, what verse are you trying to quote? And I, I hear things like, I hear things like, um, actually, why are you asking me what verse? Is it because you think I do not know? Then I say, I am sorry. I know you know. What verse are you quoting? Then they flare up in anger most times and say, I know what I'm quoting. Only that I don't know where it is. Then I'm wondering, if you know what you are quoting and you don't know where it is, how are you sure you are not quoting out of context? So, when I hear a verse, these days, I don't bother to ask people what verse. Once they can give me keywords, instantly, I run a mini concordance on the statement of my mind. And I look at the verses where, especially in the New Testament, I'm a New Testament preacher, really, I'm a New Testament preacher, an apostle of the New Testament, a saint one of the New Testament. I just, and I say, are you quoting this and this and this? And I find it. Then no matter how many times I've read it, I open it instantly. I check before and after. You can't preach a verse at me without having read it, having examined it, having checked it. Please don't don't use any scripture without having checked it in context. Check some other translations. It could be that you are even misquoting. These are the last days. It says in the last days, this thou know that perilous. Second Timothy 3 and verse 1. Times shall come. 
First Timothy 5 verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the later times some shall depart from the faith. This is the last day. Why do we always look confused, afraid and jolted? Hey, hey, who knows? Hey, hey, no, listen, listen. Second Timothy 3 and verse 13. Second Timothy 3 and verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So, your responsibility and mandate in times like this is not to complain. To be jittery, jolted or afraid. These are not days to cry and sob. These are not days to look down upon yourself and expect the worst. Don't expect trouble. A marauder, a kidnapper to relay you today or tonight. Don't expect an unforeseen evil circumstance or accident. Rather, be bold. What should you do? Continue thou. This is your responsibility. If you leave verse 14 and you are agonizing over verse 13, you have missed the will of the Father. You are disobedient, you are rebellious. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. What does this mean? You've arrived, be steadfast, consistent in the things that you have learned. You have an assurance in learning things, knowing it's of Christ. Let me say something about verse 14. Because I know it's of Christ, I have an assurance in what I have learned. I know it's of Christ. I have an assurance in what I have learned. This is what brings consistency and steadfastness or patience. I know it's of Christ. I'm assured. Check it. Look it. Read it. Again and again. Get used to it. Spiritual things are learned. Spiritual things are understood. Spiritual things are reconciled. Spiritual things are not meaningless. Spiritual things are philosophies of spirits. Spiritual philosophy is a body of principles learned by spirits. So simple. When I say spiritual things, I'm talking about realities of God who is a spirit. Did you get it? To learn those things, be assured of them knowing that it's Christ who is the Alpha and the Omega. I want to quickly say something. Please, if you have a question, you can raise it so that by Friday we put a close to this and continue some other things. Romans, I mean Acts 15, quickly. I want us to finish in about 15, 20 minutes. I'll tell you we should finish at 6.30, but a number of you just grazed in. A number of you just 
increased in. Are Acts 15 you learned something? Acts 15. And verse 18. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. What does this mean? It simply means God has a full view of all things. God has knowledge of all things. God is in control. God is in control. Hallelujah. None unto God are his at all. He's never taken by surprise. God has a mind of his own. God knows the end from the beginning. God calls those things that be not as though they were. Known unto God are his works from the beginning of the earth. The Lord has spoken. He made these things known so long. Is what NLT says. Maybe you look at this in the context from verse 15. That's talking the quotation from Amos 9, 11 and 12. That has been prophetically declared. So, 15 to 18. Why is somebody saying this? Why did somebody even say this in the first place? Somebody is saying this because Romans chapter 9 13. Romans 9.13 As it is written Jacob have I loved but Esau have I hated. Jacob have I loved Esau have I hated. So what am I supposed to do with this? I'm supposed to assume that there are certain people God doesn't love and that there are those he has chosen to love. And that I may not particularly be God's favorite. 
He doesn't just like my face. I have fought this battle over the years, teaching people that God does not have bastard children. God does not have chosen children. God does not have favorites. God is not partisan, parochial, sentimental, or prejudiced. God is a God of love. I have said, we are not meant to learn who God is from men. God is not a man. We are not meant to learn how God relates with us from how we relate to our children. The Bible says we are evil. It says we are evil. <laughs> this, is, this is what God says about you and I. Each, each time, each time you think that, oh boy, the same way God relates with me or rather the same way I relate with my children is how God relates with me yet to learn at Matthew 7 verse 7 to 11 what Luke 11 13 says you learn at Matthew, Matthew 7, 7 to 11, what Luke 11 and verse 13 says. You learn at Matthew 7, 7 to 11, what Luke 11 and verse 13 says. Matthew 7, 11, in thee then be you know how to give good gifts unto your children. Luke eleven thirteen. In me then being evil. It is wrong. It is wrong to say uh, uh, no. God is not a man. Numbers 23 and verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie. What if Romans 3 from verse 3. What if some do not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God of none effect? Nay, let God be true and all men be liars. It is wrong to think God acts like men act. Does God love me? And I've seen something before. What have I seen? I have seen that in relating with human beings, most of us have the conventional human behavior pattern towards people. Your rating of people towards you is based on whom they are to you. Your perception. If somebody loves you, you test them, you examine them, then you start yielding gradually. When they hurt or disappoint you, you blacklist them and chase them away. 
even in marriage you test the waters one foot at a time should i yield should i yield should i submit you on your guard and sometimes you are deceived and defrauded because people pretend to you that they love you they believe in you then before you know it you are face down disappointed a lot of issues we have with human relationships so we feel that God is prejudiced sometimes we will argue we argue who does God love more brother A brother B whom do you think God loves most in Nigeria David you know what you do you forsake grace and move on to evaluation by works <clears throat> you forsake grace the moment you are thinking of man you are thinking of the law and evaluation by works and performance man does not understand grace grace is of God grace is of God merciful pardon is of God merciful pardon is divine that's grace merciful pardon is divine that is you pardon based on you and who you are and not based on the person this is a Christ love it's difficult to practice where you relate with human beings based on the nature you have and not on who they are this is almost impossible to practice when somebody is always always wrong unwilling to change somebody spites you takes you for granted somebody looks down upon you somebody just misbehaves towards you all of the time offends you always rubbishes you steps on your toes and yet you are under obligation to sacrificially forgive this is divine he says work in love even as Christ also loved us <laughs> ah, and gave himself up to God for us for an offering and a sacrifice of sweet smelling savor to do so when you estimate whom God is to us outside what the Bible says ladies and gentlemen what you succeed in doing is you are removing grace and you are putting works in understanding the estimation of grace ladies and gentlemen you feel that God's nature of love comes in God's nature of love is not human. God's nature of love is of God. First John 4 and verse 8 says, God is love. The embodiment of God is God's love in perception. Love is not God. Love is not God. Only God is love. Don't misplace the order. Love is not God. Only God is love. Because God is a person, is a spirit. He's not ephemeral, abstract feeling or behavior like love god is a person 
who is an embodiment of love and he loves totally and absolutely as it is written what does this mean Romans 9 and verse 13 this is the Old Testament Malachi 1 2 and 3 Pastor, why do you always explain like this? You say Old Testament. Ah, well, it is. It is. You know, sometimes I say, oh, the guy is not born again. He says, so what? Ah, that's important. We can start from the fact that he's acting the way he's acting because he's not born again. This is something some women hate to hear when you tell them, your husband is not born again. They are very angry with you. What do you mean he's not born again? I simply mean that if he had been born again, perhaps we should have expected something better from him. But because he's not, most likely he will keep getting worse until he meets Christ. So, if I explain to you that this verse is Old Testament, please don't think I'm trying to explain it away. I am saying fundamentally the testament under which this scripture occurs is outdated. Is outdated. So, we must see it in the light of this testament and not see it in the light of the new testament because it may jolly well contradict the principles of the new testament and people argue this they say well for example somebody will say i'm not a christian yes i can't judge you as a christian you're not a christian Maybe I'm talking with a friend or somebody I know, and he say, and I say, and he says, I'm traveling on Sunday. And I say, Why must travel on Sunday? And the person says, I'm not a Christian. That's that's important enough. I do not consider Sunday as anything valuable, so I can travel. And that we start from there. I can't think the way you think because I'm a man, not a woman. We start from there. I am. 52 years old. We start from there. So, no, 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 I'm married. We start from there. Oh, sir, if I had been married, it would have been easier. We start from there. Yes. Do you understand what I'm saying? Fundamental elements from where we can actually take off. So, this verse is Old Testament. Let's extend it a little. Verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? The writer says, God forbid. For he says, Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Exodus 23 and verse 19. Exodus 23 and verse 19. Verse 16 of Romans 9. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth but of God that sheweth mercy. And on, and on, and on. Let me link this with Romans chapter 8, and then try to close tonight, and I'll continue on Friday. Sometimes I don't give you a topic, I just keep teaching you. You'll be shocked that in a couple of years you have learned so much about the Bible. You'll be shocked that you have many things on your on your fingertips you'll be surprised you don't have them in topics you are, you are seeing the message 
comprehensively. You are, you are on top of it. That's the way it's going to work for you. Yeah, you just discover that. You, it, it's now under your fingertips. Yeah, you are comprehending it holistically. Instead of this topic, this topic, that fights this topic, it is it. And Romans 8, it says, For whom, for whom, verse 29, Romans 8, 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. And whom he called, then he also justified. And whom he justified, then he also glorified. From this verse, and Romans chapter 9, these verses, Romans 9 and um, Acts 15 and verse 18, I had showed you earlier. One doctrine people preach, which is the doctrine of predestination. What does this doctrine say? It says, there are people on this earth whom God foreknew will be saved. So, he saves them. And there are people on this earth whom God has foreknown will not be saved. He has damned them. This doctrine is a wrong doctrine. And I'll give you the explanation. It's so simple. What is the explanation? Predestination is a valuable concept of redemption. It's an important concept of salvation or in salvation. But predestination is not outside, it's inside. Predestination is not outside. It's inside. What does this mean? If predestination labor were outside God's kingdom, then when you come close to God's kingdom, you will see it predestinated only. Then you check his book. When you check his book and your name is not predestinated, you go back. However, if predestinated is inside, so what's outside? What's outside For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever. So what we have outside is whosoever. 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 Whosoever, it gives it up as your choice. So you have a choice to accept Christ's death and resurrection and be saved or not. So it's your choice. Predestination goes beyond your choice. You will not choose him because he has damned you. 
He has said you must not trust him because you are not predestinated. But if it's whosoever, then when I come and I hear the word, the choice is before me. I make a choice. When I have accepted Christ and I'm sealed with the Spirit, I'm inside the kingdom of God. When I now get to the kingdom of God, I now see the label inside predestinated. What does this mean? This means that whosoever who accepts and is saved is predestinated. And not that only the predestinated will accept. Is there a difference? Yes, there is. I said again. Never say there are those damned. God damned them. This will be contrary to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that whosoever. No man that comes to me, I shall in no wise cast out. I shall in no wise cast out. So what are we saying? When by choice you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, you are called the predestinated. And it is not that it's only when you are predestinated you have the right to accept Him. Do you understand this? John 6.37 All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You see, ha, ha. What if God has not given me to him? Why would you say this? He already said whosoever. See, choice. Whosoever. The whosoever ideology is. It's your choice. So, when you are when you have come to him, Jesus says about you, about you, all that the Father giveth me. Jesus says, God has given me you. God has given to me you. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Because God has given me you. God gave me you. God gave me you by your choice. So there is nothing like he will never be saved. He is not predestinated. It's wrong. It's only that. When you willingly accept, you are the predestinated. Just one scripture and close. Just one scripture and close. Just one scripture and then I'll close. Matthew 20 and verse 28. Matthew 20, 28. I will try to put this together explaining the biblical concept of predestination. And I'm saying, the man born again 
is called the predestinated. And it's not that only the predestinated can become born again. Did you get it? The man who has accepted Christ is the one called the predestinated. And not that only those who are predestinated can be saved. I'm going to explain Romans 9 to you, but like I said, it's purely Old Testament. It's not New Testament. Because it's by grace you are saved. That one is New Testament. Matthew 20 and verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for few. A ransom for few. Mark 10, 20, Mark 10 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for few. Many. Many. Okay. Look at this one. First Timothy 2 and verse 6. Who gave himself a ransom for few. What does it say? What does it say? Jesus gave himself a ransom for all. What is the word ransom? Redemption price. A price to buy over. A price to buy back. A price to set you from slavery or bondage. He gave his life in exchange for your life. I want to buy him up for all. Let's let us quote two, three scriptures. It says, I write unto you, little children, that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, whose blood is a propitiation for our sins and not us only. But for the sins of the whole world. So if God knew he had predestinated some people to death, some to life, and that only those he has predestinated will be saved, Jesus given his life a propitiation, his blood of deadly sacrifice or death a propitiation for all. He gave himself a propitiation for all. That whosoever, whosoever, nobody is destined to hell. Nobody is destined to hell. Yes, you may say God knows those who will not be saved. I agree with you. Because known to God are his works. God knows the end from the beginning. But does not mean that God confers upon anybody that adamant spirit that says, Don't be saved. Your choice is always your choice. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Say, Father, your choice is always your choice. Lift your hands above your head.